Just months before the next federal election, the Liberal government is embroiled in a potentially damaging scandal. This one surrounds a major Canadian company, SNC-Lavalin, that is facing charges related to business dealings in Libya and whether the Prime Minister's office applied political pressure on then-Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould to order federal prosecutors to expedite the case in a manner that would be beneficial to the company. It sounds complicated. That's because it is. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10.3. Did you know all of our episodes are available on major podcasting platforms? Whether you prefer Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher, you can subscribe and get this show right in your feed if you haven't done so already. And I truly value your feedback, so please leave a review and post a comment. When faced with evidence of a serious potential obstruction of justice, the Liberals can only deny and delay. A well-connected multinational lobbies this Liberal government more than 50 times, shovels them more than $100,000 in illegal donations, and then gets changes to the criminal code to help them get out from under corruption and fraud charges. And when the former AG doesn't bend to the will of the Prime Minister, she's fired. It's quite clear that we are seeing the beginnings of a cover-up here. The former Attorney General prided herself on speaking truth to power. She spoke truth to power behind closed doors, and the Prime Minister fired her. Last night, I accepted Jody Wilson-Raybould's resignation from Cabinet. Frankly, I am both surprised and disappointed by her decision to step down. And let me tell you why. This resignation is not consistent with conversations I had with Jody a few weeks ago when I asked her to serve as Canada's Minister for Veterans Affairs and Associate Minister of National Defence, nor is it consistent with the conversations we've had lately. Brian Platt covers federal politics for the National Post. So, Brian, I do want to touch on what happened at committee on Wednesday. But because this all stems back to a court case against SNC-Lavalin, briefly, what is the company and what is it that they're charged with? So SNC-Lavalin is a Montreal-based company. It's a construction and engineering firm. They're involved in a lot of infrastructure projects. It's a huge company. It's a globally significant company. So even though this is in some ways a Quebec story because SNC-Lavalin is based in Montreal and it's a huge corporate presence in Quebec. It is a very important company in Canada as a whole. Any company, I think, that is, it has about 50,000 employees worldwide uh, and 9,000 based in Canada. It's Hmm. a hugely significant company for Canada, no matter which province it was based in. And they are charged with centrally bribery offenses? So there's a period of time, it seems, where SNC-Lavalin was getting itself into all kinds of trouble. Uh, They uh, had corruption charges around a Montreal hospital project. They also had an illegal donation scheme to the political parties, mostly the Liberals, that saw the company reimbursing employees for making political donations. But the big one here is a charges of bribery based on infrastructure projects in Libya. Between 2001 and 2011, about 50 million in bribes are alleged to have been arranged to give SNC-Lavalin access to some projects. The RCMP laid charges in 2015, I think it was February 2015 actually, so about four years ago. And so there's corruption and fraud charges 
that are very serious and based on current legislation, if SNC-Lavalin gets convicted on corruption and fraud charges, it is barred from bidding on federal government contracts for 10 years, which is a really big deal for a company that makes so much of its business off infrastructure. So these charges based to this bribery, the alleged bribery in Libya is a in some ways an existential question for the company because it will be hard for it to stay in business if these if it gets convicted in court. So we have a, a major Quebec company who has found itself in trouble in the past, who is charged with allegations involving dealings in Libya. How does this go from that to a political scandal involving the prime minister's office and Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former justice minister who was shuffled to Veterans Affairs before quitting cabinet this week? The company has made a, a big effort to clean up its act, from what I understand. They cleaned house in the upper ranks of the company and have brought in a, um, a lot more policies to prevent these kinds of problems from coming up for it again. Among the things that the company has done to try to get to try to right the ship is it has been in hot pursuit of what's called a deferred prosecution agreement. This is, is, has existed in the U.S. for a while. I think it, it exists now in the U.K., although it's a little bit newer there. A deferred prosecution agreement is you stay the criminal proceedings in court and you negotiate sort of a compliance agreement. The way that it's framed it, by people who like deferred prosecution agreements is it, it contains all of the same things that you would get with a criminal conviction but without the actual conviction in court. So the company admits wrongdoing, it cooperates fully with investigators, it pays a, usually a large monetary fine, and there's various compliance agreements that are all put in place. And the people who specifically committed the acts are still potentially prosecuted. It's a way to protect company shareholders in particular from the actions of a few people within a company. So it's like a plea deal without a hefty penalty long-term for a company. Yeah, something like that, yes. And we know that SNC-Lavalin was pushing hard on the government to set up a deferred prosecution agreement scheme that um, similar to what the US and the UK have, and that they were lobbying the government hard. There was a short consultation that happened in the fall of 2017, and then in Canada now, it's called we the specific phrase that we use for it is a remediation agreement, and we we put the government in its budget bill, a massive omnibus budget bill, which the Trudeau Liberals had run on saying they weren't going to do big omnibus bills anymore, and that is a promise they have not stuck by. They argue these are all budget related matters, but nobody <laughs> really buys that. In the in the middle of this budget bill that was tabled in the spring of 2018, they inserted a remediation ag uh, agreement process, and so that was not debated on its own as a piece of legislation. It was debated in the middle of a bill that is hundreds of pages long, deals with all kinds of different budget matters, and oh yeah, there's a remediation agreement scheme in there that contains what SNC Lavalin in particular had been really wanting Canada to bring in as an option. So that was debated in Parliament and did not get much attention. It did get brought up in Parliamentary Committee. There were some questions asked about it. But because it was in the middle of this giant budget bill, it did not really get a lot of attention, not as much attention as it really should have. And that budget bill was passed in June 2018, so less than a year ago. So to bring it up to what, what, 
where we're at now, that those remediation agreements took effect in September, which means that once they take effect, a company can then try to negotiate one of these with a prosecutor and avoid the criminal charges. What we know from court documents is that SNC-Lavalin started these negotiations, actually even while the bill was still before Parliament. In April, they started negotiating with SNC-Lavalin saying, okay, we know this is coming, so can we start to talk about this? Once the remediation agreements took effect in September, SNC-Lavalin could, could, go, could uh, move forward. And, but in order to do so, they needed the public prosecution office, the federal prosecutors that were uh, leading the court case, would have to invite them to start negotiating one. And everything seemed like it was on track for SNC-Lavalin. It seemed like they were expecting this to happen. And they were shocked in October when the public the head of the public prosecution service informed them, actually, we're not going to negotiate one of these with you. You are uh, still going to have to face these criminal charges. And that is that set off a bunch of events that seemed to have led to this political crisis. And so we see last week that a uh, story broke in the Globe and Mail initially and that there's allegations that people in the prime minister's office were trying to pressure the attorney general to force the public prosecution's office to enter in that agreement. Yes, that is what the Globe and Mail alleges based on confidential sources in a story published last week. And so Jody Wilson-Raybould was, was appointed justice minister and, and attorney general uh, right when the Trudeau government took power in November 2015. And, but in January, in what was quite a surprising move, she was shuffled out of that position and pretty substantially demoted to Veterans Affairs, which is it does important work, but it is not nearly of the stature and importance of being the attorney general and justice minister and cabinet. It's a big deal when a justice minister gets demoted like mm -hmm. that. And it was kind of a mystery and added on to the mystery was the fact that Jody Wilson-Raybould, after being moved out of justice, the justice minister portfolio, published this letter that said, that defended her record, but also brought up all these con points of principle that sure made it seem that she had been in a battle with the government on a couple of issues. She's very pointedly defended the idea that the attorney general should be needs to be independent from politics. And so now we potentially get a sense of where that letter came from because the Globe and Mail report says that Wilson-Raybould had pressure put on her by somebody in the prime minister's office. They did not name any names. We have some idea potentially of who that might be, but no names were included in the Globe and Mail report. We just know that somebody was apparently pressuring Jody Wilson-Raybould. And if that's the case, it violates a long-standing constitutional principle that the Attorney General does not get pressured on criminal cases like this. The fact that she got shuffled out of the portfolio in January and replaced not only with a new justice minister, David Lametti, who everybody, he's a former McGill law professor. He, people have very high opinions of him. He is also based in a Montreal riding. 
The fact that she was shuffled out of the portfolio and replaced with a new justice minister based in Montreal, and the fact that she had published a letter saying, defending the idea that attorney generals need to be uh, kept independent from politics, it sure makes all of this look like there's a lot. There, there's a lot of smoke here, a lot of smoke that sure makes it seem like there's a fire. And Justin Trudeau has been under siege ever since this story was published. And what has the prime minister said in the week or so since we saw the initial story come out? When he first responded to it, he had a very specific line, which was that I never gave directions, neither me or anyone in my office gave directions to Jody Wilson-Raybould on this. Of course, the Globe and Mail story said that, did not say that she was ever ordered to do it. It said that she was, there was heavy pressure put on her to intervene. And so there's a difference there, right? And we started to get into parsing parsing the words. What is the difference between directed and pressured? Yeah. And other liberals subsequently came forward and said there was no pressure, there was no pressure. We've never we have never heard Justin Trudeau specifically say that. He has slowly over the days put out a little bit more information. He said that he met with Jody Wilson-Raybould uh, or had discussions with her in September. And that he had told her that this was her decision alone. And we also know that Jody Wilson-Raybould had approached, we are told, Gerald Butts, who is Trudeau's, one of Trudeau's top political aides, and that Butts had, according to what we were told by the prime minister's office, told her she needs to go talk to uh, other senior public servants about this. So to keep politics out of it, but that, but we have never heard Trudeau specifically come out and say nobody in my office ever put pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould to intervene in this criminal proceeding, and so it is still we are in this murky area where these conversations are alleged to have taken place, but we don't know who exactly had the conversations, and we of course don't know exactly what was said. Is it possible that there was a legitimate conversation happening about what public interest considerations you might want to consider, which is it, it is fine for it is fine for political staff to, to and cabinet is where it's supposed to happen, I believe, to have those conversations with Jody Wilson-Raybould. But did it cross the line into pressure? Yeah. That is where you cross a constitutional principle that the attorney general does not get politically pressured on matters like this. We just don't know. And a big reason, a big black hole here is Jody Wilson-Raybould herself. She has not been able to talk about it. She has, she has said, no comment. I'm under solicitor-client privilege. And uh, I cannot give you details about what kind of what was discussed. So we have never still over the past week now that this, um, I think we can call it a scandal now, has has happened. Yeah. Jody Wilson-Raybould has resigned from cabinet. She resigned on Tuesday, which is a huge deal. It is the fact that she has resigned from cabinet is mm-hmm. a is a strong signal that she s- believes that lines were crossed and something wrong was done. But we have still never heard her side of the story. And it's interesting. She resigned from cabinet after the prime minister made comments to the effect that. She has faith in him because she's still in cabinet. 
it's not an issue because she's still in cabinet. If it were an issue, she would no longer be there. And then lo and behold, she left. And on top of that, uh, you've seen the prime minister get a little defensive relating to the allegations because he's even thrown it back at her feet. Has he not? The other one of the other factors that's been going on here is every time Trudeau speaks to media about this, he gets a little he adds a little bit more. And he I think first he kind of forced Wilson Raybould's hand when on Monday in a press conference he said the fact that she's still in cabinet shows should speak for itself. That was his exact phrase. In other words, she still supports me in the government because she's still in cabinet. And that night she called him and resigned. Because I think he basically, with those comments, forced her to either resign or let everybody think that this was not a problem and nothing bad happened and everything was okay. So she answered that question by resigning, at least as far as we can tell. Then after she resigned, Trudeau gave another press conference where he, in in a much more hostile tone than we've heard before from him, said that Jody Wilson-Raybould never came forward to him to say that she had concerns about this and she should have done so. And if he, if she had done so, you know, then he, they would have figured out what to do. But he said she never came forward to him with problem saying that there was a problem here. And of course, the other way to look at this is, well, I mean, it's because according to the Globe and Mail story, at least it was your own staff that was putting the pressure on her. And so, yeah. the question here is whether the question it, it it is it is so hard to know at this point exactly where lines were crossed because we have still never heard from anybody who is directly involved in these conversations that we know of. We don't know exactly what was said. We we don't know whether a line was crossed. But the fact that Wilson Raybould has resigned from cabinet sure makes it seem like. And so, and the other point we should mention, I should mention, is when she resigned, she also announced she had retained legal counsel, a former Supreme Court of Canada justice, which is about as big a legal counsel as you can get, and <laughs> said, you know, she will retain him so that she can try to figure out what she's allowed to say about this. And so yeah. that indicates that Jody Wilson-Raybould at some point does want to talk, but she's got to figure out these issues of solicitor-client privilege and also cabinet confidence. Cabinet discussions are normally supposed to be secret. So she needs yeah. to figure out what she's allowed to say. So I think what we can know right now is that Wilson Rabel does want to give her side of the story. She's trying to figure out how she can do that. Opposition politicians want answers. Canadians, I think, are becoming more convinced that they need answers in this case. We were hoping to get some light shed on this at the Justice Committee this week or at least to start the process to have some of these questions answered. What can you tell me about what happened at committee? The Justice Committee, the opposition members, as you would expect, feel that they need to use their powers such as they have to try to get some answers on this. So they forced an emergency meeting and they were planning to bring a motion that would look into all of this and in particular call on nine witnesses to come and testify at committee. And it is mm-hmm. all the key players here, including jo- Jody Wilson-Raybould herself, including the director of public prosecutions, including four of the top aides in the prime minister's office, the people who we suspect may have been putting some of this pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould, if it's true that they did. 
That's what the opposition wanted to do. The problem is that liberals have a majority government, and that means they also have a majority on committees. And it means they can, if they vote as a block, they can vote five to four. There's nine committee members and the liberals have five votes. They can get their way if they vote all together. And so going into the meeting, it was pretty clear that the liberals were probably not going to let the conservatives and NDP do whatever they wanted on this. The question is whether the liberals were going to come back with their own proposal. And that's what they, they when the meeting opened, that's what they did. They had their own motion to have the committee study this issue. And they had a list of witnesses that was substantially smaller than what the conservatives and NDP were planning to call. It really doesn't include anybody who was directly involved in these allegations. The liberal motion has the current justice minister, David Lametti. It has the head bureaucrat in the justice ministry who, as far as I know, doesn't have any direct connection to any of this. She might. I mean, mm -hmm. when you're in that position, you're involved in a lot of things, so she might. And they have the clerk of the Privy Council, so the head bureaucrat for the whole public federal public service. And, and they were going to study general issues around deferred prosecution agreements and what's called the Shawcross principle or the Shawcross doctrine, which is this idea that attorneys general do not get pressured politically in criminal cases. And also, they add, a, add on the motion, you know, discussions between the attorney, attorney general and government colleagues. It sure sounds like what they are setting up is a more sort of academic study of the legal issues at play rather than a detailed investigation of what specifically took place between Jody Wilson-Raybould and people in the prime minister's office. And when can we expect to hear more from uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould? That seems to depend on how quickly she gets clear legal advice on what she's safe to do. There's all kinds of nuances here around solicitor-client privilege. One of them is that Trudeau has already taken his own prerogative to describe some of the meetings and to describe some of the discussions he had with Wilson-Raybould about this. He says that back in September, they talked about it and Trudeau assured her it was her decision alone. Well, when the client talks about things that are covered by solicitor-client privilege, you would think that might waive the privilege. That's a question that she will probably, probably be talking to her lawyer about. The other thing is that there's something called parliamentary privilege, which is meant to allow politicians to to have totally free discussion in parliament on all kinds of topics. So for example, something in parliament, you can't sue somebody over something they said, say during question period in the House of Commons. Mm -hmm. Parliamentary privilege protects you from getting sued over what you say. And these issues are not 100% clear, but I think the general idea here is that parliamentary privilege trumps all the other privileges. So Whatever is, might be covered by solicitor-client privilege, you are allowed to come to a committee and talk about it because you're covered by parliamentary privilege, which is the idea that we want our elected officials to be able to speak freely on when they're deliberating matters of interest to the country, right? Of great democratic importance. So yeah. it is she she is like talking to her lawyer, I'm sure, about all of these issues right now and trying to figure out how she might be able to talk about this. Well, I, you know, I guess we'll, we'll see how that unfolds in, in terms of uh, internal party politics over the next little bit, and we'll be watching to see how it unfolds on a broader scale nationally. Uh, Brian, thanks very much for your time. Yep, thank you very much. 
10-3 is produced by Carson Jarama. Technical support this episode from Stuart Thompson. Thanks to my guest Brian Platt at the National Post. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. 